This show was produced and edited by Andy Azinger. Let Andy and Azinger Media Productions amplify your brand voice. Uh, and, and I feel like my role is one of like curator. If everything is available, if the whole world is available, you might want to actually have an expert who spends his time listening and watching, sort of guide you to what they think, right? It's just like any place. You go to a strange town. Don't you want to go see that strange town with somebody who lives there? I do, yeah. That's Peter Palermo, executive director of The Sheldon, a St. Louis institution and concert hall that's hosted amazing acts from around the world. I'm Jason Montag, and this is episode 104 of Hashtag Midwest Executive Stories. I had an opportunity to speak with Peter Palermo through a close personal connection of both of ours, Jim Benson, who you've heard on this program. And the more I spoke to Peter, the more I realized how important his story was to share. He's a very creative guy. He spent an enormous amount of time in the arts on the West Coast. He's now moved back to the Midwest with his wife and kids. And I realized through discussions about his role in the arts, how closely connected the world is that he lives in with what we do every day as leaders and technologists in the Midwest. And what I found so interesting and compelling about Peter is that he, just like I and others in leadership and our organizations, relies on technology to make connections with people around the world. A concert hall in the middle of the Midwest is relying on technology to build empathy and connect people and their lives together, just like we're doing in all of our other businesses. And it just felt like this story needed to be told. So sit back and enjoy the conversation that Peter and I had about technology and what he's doing to bring that to life at the Sheldon in St. Louis, Missouri. Today, we're speaking with Peter Palermo, Executive Director at the Sheldon. Sounds like a St. Louis institution for many, many years. It sounds like 100 years, 1912, I, I, I think. Yeah. Um, a veteran in the performing arts industry, uh, have been all over the United States. Um, Peter, welcome to Hashtag Midwest. Thank you, Jason. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for asking me. And um, I was just intrigued to, to hear your story. I know you are the executive director at a place that has so much rich history. A lot of people, obviously, who would listen to this may not know what the Sheldon is. Maybe talk a little bit about your role and, and a little history of, uh, of the Sheldon. Well, and, and that's something that I've put on my to-do list to rectify. Uh, the Sheldon is a lovely concert hall. It was built in 1912 as the Ethical Society of St. Louis. Um, and it was that for about 50 years. Ethical Society is kind of like the Unitarian Church. It's like 
they talk about how to be a good person, but it's kind of like church, but there's no God. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it looks like a church on the inside, but it has these uh, wonderful acoustic properties to it. it. Turns out it's an exquisite place for a musical experience. go on about the acoustic properties of the room but like it's it's yeah. got a wooden floor with earth underneath it so it turns out to be like a giant resonating chamber so i mean it really is like when you go hear somebody play the cello in that room it looks like you're in the cello it's just it's just built for it yeah it feels like a tiny carnegie hall it's, it's a tiny room it's only 700 people fit in that room but it is like one of the most intimate uh, musical experiences you can you can have. So I'm going to tell the world about the Sheldon. So everybody, when they come to St. Louis, they're going to be like, oh, I got to go see whatever's at the Sheldon. I got to go see a show. That, that's outstanding. In the role that you have getting out there and talking about this place, how, how do you, I mean, do you take on similar qualities? Do you, are you uh, not flashy, but get the job done? And what's your, uh, what's your approach there? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always like, I sometimes see my colleagues and they like, you know, adopt ascots or sunglasses <laughs> all the time, or, you know, I'm like, I should be a little more flash than that. Shouldn't I, if I'm going to stand out in the crowd, you know, yeah. and I just, I can't, I don't have it in me. I don't have no, it in me. So no elbow uh, patches or uh, yeah, monocles yeah. or anything like that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I can do have. Room. Uh, I can fill a room. Uh, yeah, you, you got earth under your feet. Yeah. So uh, you know, but um, I, I think, and I think that's one of the things that's made me what I am today is that I'm. I just love people, and I love talking to people, and I've. I think the the gift that I'm, if I have, if I have a gift, it's that I can land into any room and find a way to be comfortable in that room right find an yeah. entry point into talking to those people and listening to them no matter who it is so yeah. that was something I, I had to do in my past lives as well so it's it's it served me well yeah and i would say you call it a gift i call that a superpower i mean i think there are people <laughs> in uh, in life that if they could go anywhere um and feel comfortable man it's a uh, it's a blessing maybe that would maybe that would be a better phrase yeah What I find incredibly interesting about Peter, he had a really important comment, which was, you often feel like you're in the cello, which is a really personal, really visceral thing, which has nothing to do with technology. However, we're at a place in history where Peter's entire role is to figure out how to make that experience come to life when you are not in the theater with the cellist. And I think that is so interesting. It's so incredible to have to wrestle with this problem and to figure it out and to find ways with technology to bring people to the Sheldon and to sit them in the audience as if they were in the audience and to let them hear these incredible musicians and plays and let them feel what's happening. 
So let's listen to the rest of the story. Um, you've held some pretty high positions in in the arts in the Midwest, but also on the coasts in San Francisco. Yeah. And what you've moved back uh, to the Midwest. In my mind, I don't know that I would have pictured someone who's made a successful path for themselves in the arts in a place like San Francisco yeah. to, to come back to the Midwest. I mean, what just describe a little bit of that for me. Well, our decision to move back here kind of, it wasn't like an epiphany, like an, like a moment of clarity or something like that. It was like a series of realizations that we had mm. that, and it took a while to get there, but I did a lot of production work and that's my background. I've come from the production side of the business as opposed to fundraising or marketing. And not a lot of people in my position come from the production side. That's like the mechanic who, who ends up being, uh, you know, uh, the owner of the dealership. It's like people usually don't advance from that side of the business. Right. But I think it gives me a real advantage as far as the part of the, the business that we're in now. And I understand that side of the business. Right. I want to run a theater. I want to run a theater. That's what I want to do. I want to program. I want to curate. I want to, I want, that's the job I want. Yeah. And it's a pretty niche market, right? You want, there's not that many theaters to go run. So, so I started broadening out and my wife and I started talking, we just had a baby and I was like, I grew up in the Midwest and I cherished my childhood yeah. in the Midwest. I thought I had a great childhood. So I thought, why don't we do that? Let's go to the Midwest. Let's go back to my roots. Yeah. Give our kids the same childhood I had. So I started looking for work in the Midwest and I got it. Oh, that's great. And so do you feel like technology, the internet, boom, and the way we interact with technology today, do you believe that? we can give the world to any small town oh. in the Midwest with much less barriers to entry, so to speak. Well, I feel like my role is one of like curator, right? If, yeah. if, if everything is available, right? If, if the whole world is available, you might want to actually have an expert who spends his time, you know, listening and watching, you know, sort of guide you to what they think, right? It's just like any place. If you go to a strange town, don't you yeah. want to go see that strange town with somebody who lives there? Yeah, right? yeah. So it's the same for me. I feel like, okay, I live and breathe the music and the arts. You know, part of what I feel like I do is building trust with my audience that they can trust my taste and that yeah. they know what to expect. And if it's on our stage, it's going to be great. That's, I mean, I think that's my job. And yes, there's a technology role in that in that it, um, it helps me do my job. Yeah. Um, we're going to really test that this year because I can't go to like our, our conferences. We normally have our people like me go to conferences and we watch a ton of performers and we talk yeah. to agents and we're going to have to do all that virtually this year. So we'll see how that works. You know, it's sort of like the paradox of choice idea. I forget the yeah. book, yeah. Uh, but, but the, uh, the author of that book, but the, um, the idea is the more choices you have, the yeah. worse decision-making you, you have because right. there's so many options. It's like an interesting opportunity to have skilled experts be the guide um, in these local markets and really bring to life the, the, the world for these, for, these, for these locales, so to speak. I think people are moving. I mean, friends of mine in New York keep posting pictures on Instagram of all the U-Haul trucks they see up and down their streets. <laughs> I mean, I think New York's emptying out. So we'll see what happens and where everybody goes. But, but I think living in some place like St. Louis or, or Chicago or Kansas City is looking uh, pretty great at the moment. 
in terms of import and export, how do you see this affecting you and bringing great yeah. talent and, and exposing yeah. them? Well, I mean, we were always bringing uh, we were always bringing people from the world to our stage, right? So we were always trying to do that, and that was an important part. And I think that you know, I had already in Little Lebanon, Illinois, where there was no like the talent I needed didn't exist. I mean, I was sort of already in the habit of like reaching out to people on the coast to like help me with design work. Um, uh, you know, trying to grab that talent nationwide because I realized, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago that they didn't have to be in my town for me to do business with them. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit, if it's okay. You said when you moved back, you were feeling like I think you were you had had a child and you and your wife. Um, by the way, is she from the Midwest or is she uh, from? She grew up of all places. She's a Santa Fe, New Mexico native. So oh, okay, gotcha, uh, gotcha. So, yeah, uh, but you decided to move back to the Midwest. Um, why and to have a childhood like you had? One, describe your that childhood. I'd be I'd be interested to know. Um, yeah, and and um, why is that personally important to you to make sure that you gave that to your kids? So. I mean, we all look at our childhood through like this golden lens, right? It's it's nostalgia. It was it was a magical time. But I mean, I really was. I really was. I had a paper route. I could go out and ride my bike till the sun went down, just be home. You know, curfew is when the lights came on, right? When the street lights came on. That's when you have to be home. Um, yep. You know, if I'm living in San Francisco, my kids don't have that. They're not out playing you know, ghost in the graveyard or whatever it was we were playing on the streets in those summer nights, uh, catching fireflies, uh, you know, doing those things, swimming in a swimming hole. And I'd like, I wanted to give my kids that chance to have that kind of childhood too. Yeah. So Peter, um, maybe let's talk about raising the next generation of Peters in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's a values, it's a values thing to me. It's like, what do you value? I value, um, uh, uh, cosmopolitan attitudes towards, towards the world. You don't, you're not anything, uh, you may be special, but you're not better. Um, and so you, the whole world is out there for you to, to enjoy and to learn from, um, your opinions are yours. And so I'm like, but they're not, again, they're not better. So I'm trying to teach my kids those things. My wife, uh, uh, grew up in a Jewish ha- household. So we're raising our kids in the Jewish tradition, which is again, me from Grand Island, Nebraska. Uh, you know, I'd never met a, a Jew until I was probably close to 30 years old. And now I'm raising my kids and we just had a bat, a bat mitzvah, uh, uh, this earlier this year. Um, so I'm learning and, uh, you know, but all of those traditions and that sort of, it's a stew, right? And you want to expose your kids to everything that you can that in hopes that some of it will soak in. You know, my daughter wanted to go to uh, Black Lives Matter, Matter March and she's paying attention to the world around her. So, you know, I worry a little bit about the screen and how much time they spend on the screen. Like the idea, like the idea of sitting down in front of a movie abhors my son doesn't does not enjoy <laughs> two hours of a movie. Yeah, like, he, he needs bored. a four minute uh, four minute yeah, YouTube especially. or TikTok video, right? You know, or or somebody explaining him the, the whole movie in four minutes is better. Yet. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so I a little worry about their attention span and uh, you know their ability to like be quiet and still. Um, you know, and even be bored because like sometimes I remember being a younger person 
listening to a symphony orchestra and I would kind of zone out at some point and yeah. the music would just kind of wash over me and it became a, a soundtrack for whatever was in my head. Right. And I'm, I feel the same way. It's like, okay, kids, we're going to go to the symphony and I don't care if you're bored. You have to learn how to be bored. It's a skill yeah. and you yeah. got to learn how to engage your mind and, and, and all of those things. So I don't know, to me, I, I, this is what I used to say at McKendry. I set the table every night. And if they choose to come and dine, I hope they do. But I'm going to set the table every night. I'm going to give them the opportunity to see something great. I'm going to give them all the opportunities uh, to engage their minds every night. And then it's going to be up to them, really, to see if they take advantage or not. So I'll, 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 I'll tell you what's happening right now at the Sheldon, which is tough because we're obviously been sh- forced to close our doors to, to, um, to outside or to, you know, to, to, to live entertainment. Um, and, and really have to now grapple with creating digital content. And I had for many years really resisted that impulse. In my mind, they were two different animals. It was like what you do with a movie camera, that's called cinema, right? And that's one art form, a totally different art form than what we practice over here, which is gathering together, having a communal experience where we're all focused on the same thing. And we have this exhilarating experience where you it's between us and this artist and it's and it and it builds on each other and that's what happens in a live audience and it's very different. And now we're having to learn how to make, how to try to make that experience happen in a digital content format. So we're learning. So I went out and tried to spend a lot of time trying to grab the equipment that we thought we needed. And of course, all the equipment that I picked out was back ordered, uh, you know, for six <laughs> weeks. And I couldn't get my hands right. on it because everybody wants the same equipment. But it, it, I, I do think what's going to come of this is that we're going to end up creating digital content, creating, giving artists work, creating digital content, and then shipping that out through our channels to anybody who wants to watch it, including school kids. So we'll make it available to all these kids that are staying at home now. They're going to be able to watch a performance on our stage, watch a string quartet you know, play a Beethoven quartet. And I hope that they can sit there <laughs> and take it in, or maybe they'll take it in a little bit at a time, but that's, that's, you know, I think that's one, just a little slice of what we're doing right now. That's, that's yeah. technology related. The, um, the live show where I'm there, I'm smelling the theater. I'm, in of the place where it's happening. I can feel the music. That has never been the domain of technology. That is a really visceral experience that you're having. I'm listening to someone talk to me and I hear uh, they're in front of me. You know, I'm, uh, there's a play that I'm listening to. I'm seeing the person or I'm hearing the cello being played. That doesn't typically that doesn't make the typical person feel like this needs more technology <laughs> you know that is not the that is not what you envision and i think peter talks about that i believe the midwest has an an amazing foundation in terms of our history and some of the qualities that we bring to the 21st century, so to speak, do you think there are big barriers that we need to really pay attention to? 
being too provincial, I think, is, is, is a big one. And, and I think it's holding us back. I think it's holding us back. Um, we're duplicating, re, you know, duplicating resources and, and all of that. So, so I think that there's this provinciality that maybe the Midwest has, where uh, that that we need to look to the world and realize that we're in competition. You know, we're not in competition with Ames, Iowa, or you know, or Omaha, right. Nebraska. Right? We're we're in competition with Shanghai, and so. Um, I think that's one thing, but then I think the the flip side of that is also a danger in that I think Midwesterners tend to think of themselves as lesser than. Yes, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. we 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 well, we're not capable of that, or well, we're we can't we can't compete with with the coast. I mean, we're you know we're we're not New York City, we're not we're not San Francisco. Yeah. We can't compete with that. Well, we have to compete with that as you said earlier we are going to compete with that our people who live here down the block can go work for google now if they want to right yeah um it's a strange like low self-esteem yeah it is it's sort of collectively they talk about that in st louis a lot is that same self-esteem thing so i think that is one i think the most important value that we we need to to work on as as a culture right now we're not we're not taking the time to empathize with each other and listen to each other. And, um, and I actually, and this will be my, my, I'll preach a little bit. I think that's what the arts do. When you go see a play, uh, you know, that takes place in some other time with some other people, you put, you are in their shoes for a while. You really walk in their shoes for a little time. Right. And you see a different way of life than, than, than your own. And, and I think that that's what the arts allow you to do. Even just reading a book or a great movie does the same thing. I like the experience of doing it in person in a room with a lot of other people having the same experience as me. So I think that Empathy is is the thing that that is critical to me and what we have to work on. And I know that the arts have a role to play in that. Yeah. Peter, uh, it was great having you on today. Thank you very much for uh, being on Hashtag Midwest. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a treat. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Is it on you or is it on me? Probably the most important takeaway for me, but I really want our listeners to take away is this person in a role that's very creative, who has the job of bringing people together and to share emotional stories, emotional experiences. He's doing that with technology. What I want people to understand out there is that even though we're blocks on a screen right now and it feels very disconnected, we have to work harder to figure out how to make our conversations and our interactions and our use of technology much more personal. And I think that can be creative. That can be, you can think outside the box, you can do different things, but it's possible. I mean, it's possible to do that. And I think we owe it to our teams and our organizations to continue to make their relationships very personal and technology can 
do that for us. We just need to work on it. We need to figure out better ways to be much more creative with technology so that we're building personal relationships and building empathy with our with our workforce. This show was produced and edited by Andy Azinger. Let Andy and Azinger Media Productions amplify your brand voice. Our show's theme music was composed and performed by Todd Dunst. Find those two gentlemen on LinkedIn. Special musical appearance by Janet Evra. Find Janet at JanetEvra.com. And find us at hashtag Midwest.com. Listen to previous episodes, share ideas, or just let us know how we're doing. And you can subscribe and download Hashtag Midwest on your favorite podcasting platforms. Until next time, I'm Jason Montag, and do yourself a favor. If you're in St. Louis, go check out the Sheldon. You'll definitely thank me later. Take care, folks.